Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and we have a powerful episode for you this week as I sat down with AJ Swoboda. AJ pastors Theophilus Church in Portland, Oregon, and serves as the executive director of the Seminary Stewardship Alliance. He is an award-winning author and regularly speaks at conferences and retreats. His latest book focuses on an extremely important topic and is entitled Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. On this week's episode, AJ and I discuss the tension pastors and church leaders often experience between the demands of ministry and the need to rest. AJ talks about the fact that within the church, we typically operate as a nine-commandment church. We share some ideas about how to honor God through rest, and AJ reveals his Sabbath-keeping secret, which, interestingly enough, relates to maple syrup. You won't want to miss that. So let's dive right into my conversation with AJ Swoboda. AJ, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, and I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to be with us. Oh, Jason, I'm, I'm jazzed to be with you. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. Now, AJ, we live in a society that tends to celebrate busyness. You know, it's, it's almost as if the idea of going nonstop is a badge of honor. Like, if, if we're not crazy busy, we are somehow slacking, and, and nobody wants to be thought of as a slacker. Can you talk to us a little bit about why are we that way? You know, what what, mm. what is undergirding mm. that that sense that we need to be going all the time? Yeah, well, I mean, I, that's a really good question and certainly kicks off the conversation because there's there is a bit of a cultural crisis going on, and that is that we um, we 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 really are doing too much. Um, I had this phenomenon. Uh, in in my own life, my own ministry, this experience of struggling to get millennials uh, to uh, RSVP for anything, um, <laughs> they they never do, and they they always maybe it, you know. They're, they're, right. And the reason is when you look at a millennial's life, I mean, they've got so many invitations to do so many things that they're they're usually kind of fishing for the best gig. Um, and we'll say maybe until the best one comes along. And that, that is indicative of a society where we, we just, we are addicted to opportunity. We're addicted to invitations. We're addicted to doing too much because we're trying to squeeze as much out of this existence as we can. And the problem is it's a kind of, uh, idolatry. We're, we're attempting to find our identity in the amount of stuff we can accomplish in this, in this lifetime. And ultimately it's, it's killing our souls and our spirits. Well, that, that's powerful. Now, one of the things that, that I see, you know, even reflected in my own life over the years in ministry and in so many times in the lives of others is this idea that kind of what you said, trying to squeeze as much out of life as we can. And it's almost this feeling that if we're not doing that, we're somehow not being good stewards of the time allotted to us. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit of, uh, about kind of that tension? Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, one of the things that I've heard, you know, but my background, my my at least my my doctorate, what I did my work in is I, I did systematic theology, but I, I studied particularly like environmental stuff. So how Christians think about the environment and creation. And one of the longstanding critiques of Christianity is that Christianity gets people to think about heaven. And so they stop caring about earth. 
and certainly that can be true to some degree, right? We're going to go to heaven, so why do we need to care for the earth? And I understand that a lot of people, you know, hear that and go, well, we don't really believe that. But in practical terms, sometimes that does affect our life. But I've actually found the opposite to be the case. And that is um, the individuals that I know who would be kind of classic secular progressives who don't believe in God, because there is no other heaven from here, begin to treat this existence like it needs to be their heaven. And when you when you treat this life as though this is the totality of your experience, you're going to jam pack in everything as you can. I actually would argue that secularism is one of the most unhealthy mindsets in the world because we try to jam pack too much into this life. When this is your heaven, then we're we're in trouble because we're going to try to do everything here. The truth is, without God and without belief in in life after life after death after you know heaven, we're going to try to do way too much here. And but for the Christian, we don't believe that this is our only existence. We have an eternity to be in the presence of the Father, and that frees us from this idolatry and addiction to needing to doing too much. That's good. Now. As our audience is primarily pastors and ministry leaders, I think that kind of idolatry that that you talk about, about doing too much, is one of those things that that we as ministry leaders are sometimes some of the most guilty when it comes to mm. that idolatry. But we don't like mm. to think of it as idolatry, right? Because we're, you yeah. know, we're living this nonstop, every moment filled, busy lifestyle. And I'd imagine that most listening today are, would say, hey, I agree it's not the best way to live life. But it is what it is. Ministry is 24-7, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the, and for ministry leaders, pastors, leaders, whatnot, uh, the idea of rest is, is very problematic. From, for many of us, uh, the idea of rest uh, almost suggests the idea of not doing stuff for God. Yeah, I remember when I was a, a young, like the first couple of years in pastoring, and I was at a pastor's conference, and I heard this well-intentioned pastor say from the pulpit, that a, a pastor's job is to find a need and fill it, to find a need and fill it. And for a while, I practiced that. The problem with that ministry mantra is there's absolutely no room in that to say no and no room for boundaries. Mm. What I find in the life of Jesus, which is shocking, is that Jesus, number one, didn't heal everybody that wanted to be healed. He didn't go to every village that everybody wanted to go to. He didn't say yes to everything. Even Paul, when he's about to go into, you know, in, in the book of Acts, he's about to go into the land of Achaia and the Holy Spirit, and he's going to go in and preach, you know, to all these people who had never heard before the gospel. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want, I don't permit you to go there. You know, Jesus and Paul, it's remarkable to me that they did not live the mantra, find a need and fill it. There were many times that they did not do what everybody wanted them to do. I think that we need to come to realize that not every need represents God's will for my life. Now, the right needs need to be filled, but not all needs. And and that's a critical distinction. Yeah, that's good. So so how do we as, as ministry leaders, how do we discern because like you said, there are needs all around us. We, we could honestly be doing ministry literally 24-7 if we didn't have to sleep, right? Um, mm. be, because there are those needs. Um, mm. So how do we discern between what, what are just needs being presented and what are needs that you know, we're called to step into and help minister? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, certainly Jesus said his motto was, I only do what I see my father doing. Uh, I mean, his, he's reciprocating what he's seeing the father doing. 
there's a certain degree, you're, you're absolutely right, Jason, there's a certain degree of discernment that has to go into play when it, when it comes to discerning, to finding right what it, what it is that God wants us to do and what God does not want us to do. And honestly, this, this may come across as cliche and overly simplistic, but the best piece of advice that I've given, I have ever received, and it is the hardest piece of advice I've ever received. It's been the hardest thing to do. It's been the hardest thing to enact. It's been the hardest thing to practice. <clears throat> the only way for me to discern what I'm called to do and what I'm not called to do is I need 20 minutes a day of unencumbered silence in the mystery and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need 20 minutes a day of, of silence. And if I don't have that 20 minutes a day, what ends up happening is my adrenal gland becomes my discernment. <laughs> Basically, whatever feels like I need to do. And, and I basically just become, in the words of Will Willimon, who's one of my favorite preachers, I simply become a quivering mass of availability. I just do. I'm available to everybody but God. If, if I have 20 minutes a day to shut up and be present in, in the face of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then I can begin to discern what is of God and what, what is my adrenal gland. And if we don't distinguish between those two, our adrenal gland will ultimately drive us into the ground. That's so good. And, and uh, as you're saying there, I'm thinking of as a pastor, you know, kind of listening through this, the value of that. Uh, but then as you take that to your church, to your, your elders or your church board or whomever, how would you suggest a pastor um, have that conversation with a church where he has already mm-hmm. or she has already been you know, ministering to kind of all the demands that are coming their way, you know, is, is there a way that you can help pastors kind of constructively walk through having that conversation, what that might look like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to point out, uh, there was a study done a number of years ago that looked at pastoral burnout rates. And it turns out the theological stream that burns out the most uh, is actually the stream that I identify with, and that is Arminians. Calvinists, reform folks, never burn out. Uh, largely because Calvinists have such a high view of God's sovereignty uh, that God is going to accomplish what he wants, whether we work or not. For Arminians, we co-work with God, and God sometimes, at the worst case scenario, God is only at work as long as we're at work. We have to address our own theology first. We have to look, we have to get to the underpinnings of what we actually believe first. That's really, really, really important. I encourage any pastor, any leader, to first do the hard work of sitting down with the Bible and getting down to prayer before going and attempting to make major substantive changes. I mean, sitting down and having a conversation with Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do I need to change in my life? When you do go to those in your community and you say, listen, I need to make changes. I have personally found that one of the greatest way, uh, ways to, to sort of enact physical and, and systemic changes in, in my life is to frame it around my own repentance and going to your pastor, your leader and saying, listen, I need to repent. I have been overworking and I'm burning myself out and I need to ask for forgiveness, not only from God, but from you as well. I've failed. I have not been taking care of myself. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Paul says, "Be uh, don't weary of, of doing good. I mean, this is line of, it's possible to be doing all the good in the world and burn yourself out doing it. And that becomes very problematic for people who love their jobs. People that love their jobs are the last people often to rest in Sabbath, which is very problematic. So I just frame it around your own repentance. Like, go to your leaders, go to your community, 
and just confess your sin. I did that with my church. Uh, we preached for, for three weeks on the Sabbath. And this is interesting. I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. This was two years ago because our church got, was getting really tired. And I went to our church and I have preached on things that have ticked our church off. I've preached on marijuana. I've preached on on sex. I've preached on polyamory. I've preached on politics. I've upset people in our church. I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. And I, I don't think we've ever had more people leave our church. And I, I think it's a vulnerable conversation to talk about rest because it completely sort of undermines uh, so much of our idolatry. Uh, so it, it's spiritual warfare, Jason. It's not easy. Yeah, AJ. So walk me through that a little bit. As you were preaching on Sabbath and as you were calling out you know, the idol of busyness, how, how was it that your people were responding? I'm mm. curious as, as you kind of shared that. Well, the, by the way, I should say that there was a moment in time that really caused me to need to, to do that. Uh, I was actually in a church council meeting, which in, in our denomination, the church council is the group of people that does finances. And I was sitting in a church council meeting, and we were talking about uh, the Sabbath commandment, the, 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 this commandment to rest a day a week. And it just dawned on me. I had the worst epiphany of my entire life. I, it dawned on me as we were talking about this uh, this commandment that if I was to break like nine of the commandments, if I murdered somebody, I'd probably lose my job, or at least I'd, I should lose my job. If I uh, lied about church finances, I'd probably lose my job. If I committed adultery, I, I'd very likely lose my job. And it dawned on me that if I don't keep a day of rest, these people will probably give me a raise. <laughs> and it, t- I'll yeah. be honest with you, Jason, yeah. it, ter- it terrified me. Wow. Um, it has been the one commandment in the Bible that we literally celebrate and compensate breaking. Wow. When I had that epiphany, Jason, I, I knew that that needed to be going. We needed to talk about that as a church. And, you know, it was, it was really interesting telling our community because I would say 95% of the church loved it, but the 5% who did it were really, really upset by it. And here were the group of people. It was really interesting. There were two groups of people that didn't like it the most. Number one was business people. And number two was moms. Mm. And in both of those categories, I got the sense that they felt like God was giving them something to do that they actually couldn't do. And it really offended them that God would ever ask them to do something that seemed completely undoable. Now, you know, when you do the work um, of thinking through what the Sabbath actually entails, it's actually quite liberating and freeing. And it's not just another thing to do. In fact, it's not another thing to do. But on first glance, it's an offensive concept. Uh, when when our identities are wrapped up in what we do and who who it is that we serve, this idea can be really, really, really problematic and can almost trigger people. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Um, AJ, let's dig into this whole idea of keeping the Sabbath because likely, um, and I, I found this to be my own experience over the years as a pastor, that although it is one of the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. <laughs> as as we know, it's one of those things that we we probably don't understand as as well as we should, and mm. that is likely why we break that commandment regularly. So yeah. can you start – let's just – and even though we're talking to pastors and ministry leaders, I have found in my conversations, and I'm sure you have as well, that, again, uh, pastors and ministry leaders don't, don't fully understand the whole idea of the Sabbath and, and why mm. it is so very important. So can mm. you start at kind of just a baseline – 
why is Sabbath keeping so important? Aside from the fact that God commands it, you know, the, what what is it and why is it so valuable? Hmm. Yeah, well, let me define it for a second. And biblically speaking, Sabbath um, is a day of rest a week. It's a day of being present to God um, once a week. So you're absolutely right. So first of all, we mentioned the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting that when you look at the Ten Commandments and Sabbath one day a week, which is the Fourth Commandment being one of them, when you look at the other nine commandments, I don't know any other person or Christian that would ever say that whole murder commandment, that's just so Old Testament. <laughs> Um, or the whole adultery thing, like, oh, dude, it's the 21st century. That's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I mean, we, we have essentially become a ninth commandment church with one really strong suggestion. Uh, the Sabbath one is one that we just don't know what to do with. Well, if it was just isolated there, we'd have some issues because we're obviously as Christians, followers of Jesus, Paul says, uh, we no longer live by the law. We live by the spirit. Now, the spirit of Jesus, which you know, inspired the law now lives in us to, to free us to live these things, not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of Jesus. Now it just, the, the commandment is not just in the 10 commandments. The commandment to Sabbath is as well lived out in the life of Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus took a day a week and he rested. He went to synagogue. He was with the people he loved. And now I should point out that Sabbath for Jesus was not a day free of ministry. Jesus is always laying his hands on people and freeing them from evil spirits and healing them on the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus did more demonic exorcisms on Sabbath than he did any other day. And I've often wondered if there's a dynamic of spiritual warfare in keeping the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. Uh, And even Jesus said, when I come back, pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. The implication being uh, he has expectations that it's something that people will still be doing when he comes back. And then not only that, we have this picture in the book of Hebrews, and the picture in Hebrews is that we are in Sabbath because of Jesus. And not only are we in Sabbath because of Jesus, but our future is the Sabbath. Heaven is the Sabbath. Uh, the important thing for us to remember is that we are not saved by Sabbath keeping. We are saved for Sabbath keeping. And that is that we have never merited God's grace and favor by taking a day of rest. It is God's grace and favor that gives us the freedom to rest. But our future is the Sabbath. If that's not enough, it was in our creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, when God created Adam and Eve, he made them on day 6, and day 7 was a day of rest. And even on that day, God rested. What's to me so powerful is I think that that is the first image of the gospel in the entire Bible. Adam and Eve were made on day 6. God said, rest on day 7. We should not overlook the simple fact that Adam and Eve's first day of existence was a day of rest. Wow. It is the first image of the gospel in the Bible, because the gospel of Jesus is always, you are loved first, you rest first, and out of that, you get your work. Any message that says, get your work done, and then you get to rest, is not good news. That is fake good news. The gospel is always, you rest first in Jesus, and out of that, you get your work done. The Sabbath is a simple commandment, a simple idea, a simple gift from God, that God doesn't treat us like slaves, and that one day a week he wants us to stop and just be with God, be with our friends, be with our family, eat some good food, watch a baseball game, read a good book. It is a day to be back in the Garden of Eden with God once again. Very cool, AJ. Now, in your book, Subversive Sabbath, 
you walk readers through these kind of four major areas of Sabbath. And I've, I've mm-hmm. got to admit, it was one of the most refreshing um, approaches to the gift of the Sabbath that I've I've ever come across. So thank you first for that. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate it. Now, mm-hmm. I just love how you express an understanding of Sabbath that ties into so many areas of our lives, you know, spiritual formation, community and relationships, justice, God's creation, even economy, the economy, technology, very, very powerful. So can we get practical and kind of touch yeah. on these four big buckets when it comes to Sabbath keeping? And, sure. and I was wondering if we could kind of walk through just kind of the four major areas. And can you share with us some examples of how and why we keep the Sabbath in kind of this area of our lives? Can, mm. we, can, can we do yeah. that? So, and yeah, I, th- I think the first, sure. the first is probably – um, as I was reading, the first is probably what most of us think of when we think of the value of rest and Sabbath. It's what you t- refer to as the Sabbath for us. So, mm, AJ, right. kind of how and why do we rest when it comes to the Sabbath for us? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, there was a study that uh, that came out a couple of years ago. They did a study to look at the most healthy religion in the world. Um, and, and it turns out, this is super interesting, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, who do the Sabbath, and I would argue do the Sabbath a little legalistically. They they would argue that it has to be a certain day, and I do not argue that in my book at all. Um, but the Seventh-day Adventists live, on average, seven years longer than anybody else. Wow. Now, <laughs> you can ask the question, well, why? And there's a lot of reasons why. They they certainly, they don't eat enough bacon, or I should say they don't <laughs> eat as much bacon as I do. Uh, they exercise fervently, but more importantly, they take a day of rest a week and they do it, you know, they go for it. I think that an atheist needs a Sabbath. If if a human being does not rest, they will die sooner. It is scientifically proven that you will live longer if you rest a day a week. It's like God will add seven years to your life. If we want, I mean, at the end of the day, if we don't want a Sabbath just because the Bible tells us it's important, we should do it because we want seven extra years of life. This Sabbath commitment, it blesses the human person so deeply. You, we can't live without it. And the irony of the Sabbath is if we don't Sabbath, we will get a Sabbath. We, we will get a sabbatical. <laughs> it's called death or burnout, or right, we'll have right. a forced sabbatical. We will get it. It's not an issue of if, it's an issue of when. We will get a sabbatical. So we got to begin by realizing that this gift of the Sabbath is for us. And when you look at the Jews in the ancient world, there were three things that you know were different about the Jewish creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 versus the religion, all the other religions, the Akkadians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, so on and so forth. Uh, number one is the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which women are made in the image of God. Uh, so women are seen as gifts from God. They're not mistakes. They're not dirty. They're not bad. They're not footnotes. They're incredible. God has made them in, in his image. Number two is that everything God makes is good. Uh, God doesn't make anything badly. We turn it into bad bad things, but God never makes it bad. And number three is God in the Bible is the only God who says to humanity, I want you to rest a day a week. Rest is God's idea. It's his idea for us. In the same way sex was God's idea, rest is God's idea. And if we want to be healthy human beings, we want to live lives that are you know full of joy and good things, we should enter into something that God has given to us as a gift. 
So we got to begin with the idea that, that if we're going to be healthy human beings, we need to integrate some dimension of rest in our life or we're just, we're just going to get a sabbatical very early on in our life. Excellent. Now, next is what you call the Sabbath for others. So what does the Sabbath for others look like in our lives? Yeah, well, at the end of the day, the Sabbath is God's gift not only to us but to others. We see that in the fourth commandment when God tells Moses, who passes it along to God's people, I want you to rest a day a week. And 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 that this is for and, and then he lists all these other people. The the alien in your midst, the animals among you, uh uh, your women, your children, your slave, your 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 not your slaves, but your 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 man slaves or your uh, your servants. That the Sabbath is actually for everybody else too. And it's interesting when you look back at the Jewish story, the Sabbath, the history of the Jews, is the Jewish people were actually commanded. If a non-Jew was among the Jewish people, the Jews were commanded to extend their Sabbath to the non-Jews among them. The, there's a built-in principle that the Sabbath is not just for us, it should be for the whole wide world. Now, I have all sorts of feelings and political opinions about companies like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A, okay? But I'm going to give them some credit here. You name two other institutions that are willing to lose billions of dollars every year to give people rest. They shut down every Sunday so people can go home and be with their families, and that is somebody saying, rest is not just for me, it is for everyone else too. And I should say, by the way, to pastors who may be listening to this, it is really hard for youth pastors and people on your staff to feel like they can rest if you never do. I am, I am coaching a youth pastor right now in New York through this very issue. He's 29 years old. He's deathly overweight. He's dying at 29. He works 80 hours a week. And I'm coaching him, how do you talk to your senior pastor about needing rest? And he says to me that every time he brings up the conversation of needing a day of rest with his senior pastor, his senior pastor says the same thing to him. When I was a youth pastor, I didn't need any rest. Why would you? Mm. Here's the deal. When people in power don't rest, then nobody else gets to rest too. That's why the poor don't get a day of rest. The poor don't get a day of rest because the rich never take rest. Wow. That's powerful now. AJ, we move from this idea of the Sabbath for others to this third area, the Sabbath for creation. So can yeah. you help us understand how does Sabbath relate to creation? Yeah, well, it turns out, again, the Sabbath idea um, affects everything, not just other people, but other creation. How many commandments in the Old Testament have to do with giving the land sabbatical rests, mm. giving the land a year of rest every seven years? Even, again, in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, God says that the animals should rest as well, uh, that the animals should get a day of rest uh, each week. Uh, my, my family, we have three emotionally unstable chickens. We live in urban Portland, and we've got three <laughs> chickens. And we give our chickens a day of rest every week, and that means we don't collect their eggs, we don't go visit them, we don't go out and talk to them at all on the Sabbath. But not like we talk to our chickens a lot, but we don't, we don't go out to the chickens one day a week and they love it. Now, I suspect that they love it because the day before the Sabbath, which for us is Saturday, we give them a lot of extra food and they just love that. But almost always when we come back to them on Sunday, they've let us some extra eggs. I think that God's creation dies when we don't give it rest. And, and I, I, you know, my background is I've done a lot of work on ecological studies and I'm a wholehearted believer that Christians 
have a responsibility to care for the planet, that we should be the best stewards in the world from of this particular space that we have been given to care for. And one of the greatest ways that we can do that is take one day a week and don't drive anywhere. Take one day a week, turn your computer off. Take one day a week and just live radical simplicity. I think that the Sabbath commandment uh, has deep creational implications uh, for the rest of the planet. Uh, by the way, there are all of these very interesting studies coming out about sound pollution. And for example, there was one just recently in, um, uh, in the Atlantic. They're finding that whales are not able to sleep at night because uh, there are so many boats now on the waterways that it, the, literally the sounds of the boats keep them up. And they're, they're dying very early. And, and it just should be a reminder to us. We've got to remember that animals and, and the land need a break too. And that the Sabbath commandments for all of them as well, not just for us. That's good. And then the final area that you discuss, uh, you refer to as the Sabbath for worship. So, mm. so what, what does that mean for Sabbath for worship? Yeah, well, it, it, you know, it used to be, Jason, that we used to have these laws in our country called blue laws. And blue laws, literally back in the you know, 1940s, 50s, 60s was when they ended. Blue laws, literally everything would shut down one day a week in America. And what would people do? They would go home and they would, they would go worship. They would go to church. They'd come home. Their parents would take a, a nap. Then they, would, then they would eat a big meal together. They'd be at home. But you, there was no idea of a 24-7 cherries. You could not go to the bank any day of the week. You could only go five days a week. And now we are a 24-7 world. That was a 24-6 world. This is a 24-7 world. And the result of a 24-7 world is <laughs> literally people don't have time for God. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I wonder why are people not as interested about talking about religion and God as they used to, or at least it seems like they don't. I honestly believe it's just we don't have time for it. We are doing so many other things. We just don't have time. God is an afterthought. He's like a, he's like extra credit. You know, if I get around to it, I will. And there is a deep price to be paid for a world in which there's no space to worship, worship with other people, the living God. You know, I'm 20, I'm, I'm third, 28, I'm 38 years old. That was a Freudian slip right there. I'm 38 <laughs> years old. And in my 38 years of life, um, I'm 37 years old, not 38 yet. I'm 37. In my 37 years of life, there has been one day that I can remember that resembles anything close to a societal Sabbath. <clears throat> it was on September 11th, 2001, when those planes flew into those towers and into a field in Pennsylvania and into the Pentagon. And I remember that day because everybody went home, planes stopped flying, everyone went home and called the people they loved. Mm. And usually now the only reason we have any notion of a day of rest to stop and just reflect on God is when there's a tragedy. And I think it breaks God's heart. I think God has created Sabbath to be a day where we know how to come together and worship the Lord, our God, our maker, and be at home and be at peace. Um, again, we're not saved by Sabbath keeping, but we are definitely saved to rest. We are saved to be at peace with God. So good, brother. As we are wrapping this uh, conversation up, I, I, I really think that this this has been good. This, I think, is a very needed conversation, especially among um, pastors and, and church leaders uh, AJ, I was I was wondering, do you have any um, you know final words of encouragement or or, or perhaps challenge that mm. you want to share with your colleagues, pastors, and ministry leaders who are listening today? Yeah, 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 I do. 
Uh, okay, here you go. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give your listeners uh, the greatest tip in the world on how to have the best Sabbath ever and change the world and make sure all your children love Jesus and uh, follow God. Here it is: pancakes. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna pick a day that you're gonna Sabbath. You're gonna rest together as a family, and you're gonna get up in the morning with your kid. This is what my family does. My son gets up, he comes and wakes me up, and we go downstairs, and my son and I make the biggest pancakes you can ever imagine. And by this point, the wife has come downstairs, and we are eating these massive pancakes. And my son will pour maple syrup out of—I mean, just tons of maple syrup all over these pancakes. And we will sit there and eat for an hour, and it's a dream. And the reason we do that is there's this old Jewish tradition that on the morning of the Sabbath, the fathers would get up early before the sons and the daughters, and he would get a spoon of honey for every child in the family. And the idea was that he would get a spoon of honey so that the children never forgot the sweetness of God's rest. Mm. We don't do honey, we do maple syrup. And my goal is that in 50 years, when I'm dead and gone, if anybody even mentions the word Sabbath to my son, he just starts to drool that he would never forget the sweetness of God's incredible rest. And the truth is, there is a generation of PKs in this world that hate the church because they think the church stole their moms and their dads from them. Mm. We say we don't believe in child sacrifice, but the truth is, often our schedules speak a very different truth. The Sabbath is the gospel of Jesus to every PK in the world. Because it is the notion that God is sending mom and dad home to be with you. It is the gospel for the pastor and the leader who's pouring their heart and souls out to people. It's the gospel to the congregation because the congregation has to lean on Jesus more than they lean on you. It's a win for everyone. So here's my last tip. Find one day a week where you make the biggest pancakes in the world and just sit around the table for an hour and stuff your face with pancakes and bacon. That's beautiful, brother. Great stuff, AJ. Thank you so much for sharing with us. If our listeners want to learn more about the idea of Sabbath or learn more, you have a great book, like we said, Subversive Sabbath. Where can they find that? How can they connect with you? Yeah, well, the book's everywhere. Um, You can get it at any bookstore. You can get it online. Um, And then my website, AJ Swoboda, S-W-O-B-O-D-A, AJSwoboda.com is my uh, personal site, and I'm on Twitter as well. Awesome, brother. Thank you again for being with us and for sharing with us about this this uh, important but often overlooked or ignored uh, need in our lives, and that's uh, that the Sabbath. So uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Grace and peace, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. 
You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.